0: So hello and welcome everyone to our special focused 100 Pounder meeting. Today is Wednesday the 13th of December and I'm delighted to introduce our speaker Linda from London who has been in OA since July of 2009. So Linda we'd love to hear your experience, strength and hope. Thank you, uh, thanks everyone for making this meeting possible and uh, yeah thanks to Rita for inviting me. Um, I am Linda, I am a compulsive overeater, and I am um, a hundred pounder. Um, I, as you said, you no, know, I came to OA in two thousand and nine, July, um, when I absolutely knew I was out of ideas, and I wish I could say that that was um, that was enough, um, but it wasn't. I was just out of diet ideas. I think I wasn't out of uh, what i now know to be the thing that was keeping me in bondage to food which was my own self will um and so i, I hang around, hung around in 2009 um and, and and you know a bit about how i got there before that was um so just to give me give myself some stats i will say that i, I came in 2009 um my first um attempt at proper recovery. Um, I'd had a few failed attempts along the way and periods of abstinence along the way. But my, I, I, um, in 2015, um, I started to work the steps using the big book. And um, I was 22 and a half stone when I started in January 2015. And by July 2016, by the grace of this program, I had been restored to a um, healthy body weight and a healthy BMI with the weight loss of 161 pounds. Um, since then, I will talk about this later, uh, relapse has been part of my story. And I now today maintain a 150 pound weight loss. Um, I did gain some weight through health reasons and through relapse. Um and there um, yeah, that that last bit has been slower to release because I now know I can't do it. Um, I have to give that to God. Um, so my current back-to-back abstinence date is twenty fourth of August, twenty twenty two. And I'd I'd really the March of that year I'd I'd got abstinent again, and I there was a one meal break there. So that's my back-to-back. But I don't want to under under you know. Value my date of 2015 because that's when this miracle began, and I can talk a lot about how I got to be um, 22 and a half stone um, at the age of 48. um And it, and you know, like many people, there's a story, uh, and there is one. And I and I learned at a very young age. I don't think I was. I'm not sure if I was born a compulsive overeater. Um, But I know that there was a significant incident in my life when I was about the age of 11 and all of the ingredients were already there Um, to be a compulsive overeater. Um, My uh, family would come from feeders. I come from a family of compulsive overeaters. Food was used for everything. But my specific um, eating in isolation, my my. sense of ease and comfort and my thing with an eating disorder started um predominantly when I was around 11 um and as I say there was a significant life um, my life was turned upside down my dad passed away I didn't understand it um my mum had to go back to work and all of these kind of things happened and I took on the role of the um be all to everyone and be the good girl And as long as everybody else is okay, um, you just got to make sure you're a good girl and don't be a bother for your mum because if you are, she'll die too. Um, Because somehow, and I really don't know why, but I got the idea. I guess it's just because nobody explained it and I had a childlike reasoning going on at that time, but somehow I worked out that I I must be at fault because nobody could explain it to me and I didn't really know what it meant, death, anyway. But I did know that I didn't want my mum to go. And, and so I better be a good girl. And uh, <laughs> that was basically me setting up this um, chain of events that uh, basically come back and cut me to ribbons. But, you know, long, long before I came to OA. But um, I didn't know it then. So I did everything in my early life to control weight that everybody else does. And I won't go into because it's the same. I tried every method. Every diet, all of it, Um, and it was when I I, was—I found what frightened me. I was always able to restrict and lose maybe five or six stone, and then slowly, this day would come when the idea um, of of having something else would just seem like, you know, just seem like okay, just for today, or all of the things that we talk about um, when we get to the doctor's opinion, Um, and so it was just i i got to the point where i couldn't control it i i i i used to be good you know I used to be able to do these periods of, of losing weight and then lose it and, and gain but this this particular time in my life i could, the mondays the monday diets just i just could not couldn't get through mondays so yeah. i promised myself on sundays this is it this is the last da, 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 da. And then I'd get in on the Monday and it was like, oh, immediately. It's almost, it, it, you know, it was immediate. Um, and so I, I came and I, I get definitely heard something that I I, I identified with. I must have done. I can't tell you I felt like I was at home because I didn't. Um, but I definitely heard something I heard people talking about the things they've done with food and and it was very similar to things that I've done. So in the um OA twelve and twelve, um in step two they talk a lot about all those things, you know, like um taking food out of a freezer, um food that's kind of uh, past its best by date um even eating to beyond the point of, of you know just absolutely stuffed full everything in there and more i done i took food out of the bin i used to cover it with um i used to cover it with all the dirty stuff in the bin thinking i won't touch it and then i'd take it out and shake it off um I remember once, you know, that time my mum was a smoker and there was ash on a pizza. And I remember going in the bin and shaking this pizza and blowing it and think, at the end of the day, it's only ash. Um, you know, that's the kind of mind that would take me, you know, and, and, um, to, to eat for this sense of something. Um, and anyway, so I did. I did relate to the, what people did with food, and and I. But I also did hear the God word, and I really did not want that. Um, I was like, oh, there it is. You know, it's God is for for weaklings, and you are weak, and so they're going to get you into some kind of cult, and when you're in, you won't be able to get out. So you better not. You know, you just better just stay on the edge. And and, and I, I think about it now and it didn't occur to me. But until 2015, I used to talk to other people about RA right, and, and I say they. Everything was always they think this and they say that. And, <laughs> um, and I think really that was because I only had one foot in the door. Um, but I never stopped coming back. And I really didn't. And I'd say that to anybody today, if I could say just one thing. And I know how painful it is to sit in an OA meeting with recovered people, knowing that your head is planning when you get out of that meeting, you're going to eat or knowing that you've eaten right up to the point um, of I mean, we we didn't have Zoom before when i was when I first came in, and I didn't go on any online meetings, but you know I know for sure I would be camera off if i was if I was eating I'd be camera off, probably listening in and eating um so but I do know that pain, and I do know that feeling so lost and and um you know looking around people thinking just somebody help me you know but i I just wasn't ready um and and I just wasn't. Um and so I worked with sponsors and, and they kind of we got so far each time and and then I would drop off. I was deeply, deeply dishonest. Um, even in LA, I could not be honest, even though everybody spoke my story, I could not be honest. Um and when people say, you know, denial, I don't even know I am lying. Um I think a lot of the time that is the truth, and um I I don't think I always knew I was lying, but there was a sick feeling of something that I did know. Um, but I didn't know what else to do. Um, and I can remember the I, I really do clearly remember this, this sort of time of year around 2014. And I was in a state my whole life was really in a mess. I was in a very, very toxic relationship. I was a carer for my mum who was coming to see really the end of her life, dying from this illness. Um, and um and you know I watched her die and I promised her actually I said mum you know mum I'm never acknowledged being an overeater." I said mama I'm going to get better from this um and and actually I'm I'm going I'm skipping a bit because that is actually 2012 when my mum was dying and and I um and I remember saying that to her and um and 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 it didn't mean anything to her, but I really thought I meant it. And that night, I went home and binged from the hospital when she died. Um, so I always say, this illness—I've well, actually watched somebody die of it, held their hand, and watched them die. And it's not—let me tell you—a bottle of Jack Daniels and a bottle of pills in a hotel room. It's nothing rock and roll about this. It's slow. It's painful, and it's awful. Um, and 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 still wasn't enough you know I remember coming out uh at that time asking somebody to sponsor me and we got talking on the first call and she she said to me and I really thought it was awful she said listen lady she said you've got a lot more eating to do and the best thing you can do is go out there it? and I looked back for a long time thought that is so wicked for somebody to say that but you know she was right because I did I had two more years um I think probably grief as well, I don't know, but whatever was going on, my life was in a state around this time in 2014 and, and I couldn't get to even swallow my binge foods without the whole cycle starting again. Um, it was literally, you know, there's certain brown food that a lot of people here eat a lot of and I i i couldn't even swallow it. There wasn't time to melt it and swallow it um, and, and I was back in the just the illusion, the hell of it. Um and so that was then Christmas came and I was in this really very, very unhappy relationship and there'd been this lady around um and I'd known her quite a long time and and she'd been in meetings that I was in because at that time I started to go to recovered meetings and that was even more painful. <laughs> um I travel all the way over to the other side of London to these meetings and um and, and, yeah, I, I'd um, travel back and binge there and binge back. But this particular lady, um, I remember one day I, crying in, I was crying in a meeting. And at the end, she said to me, Linda, are you tired? That very calmly, oh, Linda, are you tired? And I, I, I've spoken to her since. And I said, yeah, I think you actually meant just it's Wednesday night. Are you tired? But her words rang in me because I was tired and I was absolutely um Out of ideas, and I was on my knees, and I kept thinking, "I've got to ask her. I've got to ask her." So anyway, I did. I called her, and I asked her to be my sponsor, and she she said to me, "She wasn't convinced. She said that she'd heard me talk the talk in the room because I'd been around and I'd learned to talk the talk." Um, But she really basically scooped me up. And I, I've often said I'd love to say she saved my life. And, and I know she really wouldn't thank me for saying that. And so I don't say that. I But she held my hand while I saved my life and put me in the hands of a, a higher power. Um, and so she did take me through um, the steps in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and um and the first thing that was all about the food um and so we worked a lot on getting that food right um and so uh, what was different i mean i got a plan of eating and i actually you know then she was very sort of specific about the plan of eating um and um i don't actually get involved in people's plans of eating today but at that time i was I, i would have done anything i was desperate um And um, so she gave me some real good, but they were saying ideas. Basically, she was just giving me the idea of three meals a day with none of my binge foods in them um, and that there would be a reasonable amount of time between meals. But it was it was quite specific. And she taught me how to structure a plate. She, But all of the stuff that she taught me was sanity because I was insane around food and I didn't know just how much I meant I needed it. Um, She um, and then once the food was down and it was, you know, it was clear that I was abstinent, and, and I was free from my binge foods and free from the ingredients. That was really important. I really study labels today and look at ingredients rather than just how much of a certain thing is in, you know, if there's no this or no that, I, I'm very careful about ingredients because I I learned in the doctor's opinion, I can't have any of my alcoholic ingredients. Um, and so, um, then we started the work. And um, once that was in place and um, what what she doing, the food work, what that taught me was I saw some specific ingredients and I saw some specific um, combinations of ingredients. I mean, I had lists and lists and lists of all this food that I binged on um, and then but actually it come down to about three or four ingredients and maybe two types of combinations of those ingredients And then there was a handful of behaviours and methods of control. And and she said, Linda, from that ream of paper lists, that is your abstinence. You know, they are the things that you need to abstain from. And then your plan of eating needs to be something that supports that. And, And there is a difference between the two. So... We had that in place, and the the difference this time around was i couldn't say, oh, this was somebody else's diet, this was somebody else's idea this was I binged on this food, I did these behaviors this was my um this was my um stuff, so once she said that's it, and we got to talk and read the doctor's opinion, and this idea of um an allergy of the body like an abnormal adverse reaction to food happens. When I put these ingredients, these combinations, these behaviours and these methods of control into play, I have an adverse abnormal reaction, which is my way of identifying allergy of the body. Um, I it was just like, I, I can't, I just can't remember. It's like, oh my God, that is such an awakening for me. And I do believe that was why I was able to start my journey um and then i um yeah then i i i, I we, we looked at that and and you know there's a lot in the doctor's opinion that says if that was my only problem i would just do that and everything would be fine but i actually have a twofold illness and, and it, it that the main part plays out in my mind the obsession of of my mind that tells me i don't have that problem and, um, yeah, and that kind of generally gets me, um, catches me out, um, from time, you know, will always, I, I will never be able to escape my mind so I can be abstinent, but my mind will still, um, tell me untruth. Um, and, um, and so I had to be, be looking at that. I had to look at that and it was the, un, it was, it was the sort of obsession of the mind um that I got to see in the second part of step one, I got to see that there is an unmanageability in my life because of the way I believe, my belief system. Um, and so I, I could see that over any period of time, my life was so unmanageable. Um, and a lot of that came out of I was encouraged to write Linda's story when we got to Bill's story so i did I took myself through bill's story um and and especially the first half about his illness um and the thing I like the most about Bill's story is the amount of eyes that are in <laughs> the amount of eyes that are in that first half of the story, and then when he gets to the solution, it's you know you know then it becomes all about we um and then it's very different um so i I did Linda's story, and I identified you know with everything how I you know set set to kind of succeed and I would prove to the world that I was something because deep down in me I had worthlessness um that, that actually felt that I was nothing um and so I could see that just being abstinent wasn't going to be enough um and then um yeah I I, I got to identify all the way through so uh, and I uh, you know I've identified when we looked at there is a solution um, I looked at all all of these those stories and, and when you get to the where there's Jim's story and the salesman um, and the man of 30 there's there's so much telling me why before on my own power I'd never been able to um, to succeed at this so I guess for me I was just on this trajectory of yeah. Yeah. Identification in steps one. I was there was such a was full identification with the big book when I changed the word alcohol and alcoholic to food and compulsive eater. Um, but then I was going to come to this sticking point because I knew that I had to come to believe in a power greater than me. And I, I you know, I, I, like, I say now, you know, I did it rough before I did it smooth because I didn't want God um, and I had a preconceived idea of, god but i was getting god mixed up with religion and that's why i love you know the we agnostics um chapter because it t- it takes me through all of that you know where were my fixed ideas where were my prejudice and um and and i had to look at those fixed ideas and that fi- those prejudice and um i also had to get honest about the the state of my life as a as a sober abstinent person um, because really what it comes down to is that I was living in the bedevilments that are described on page 52 you know I wasn't really um, I wasn't able you know uh you know to make a living hold down personal relationships um i couldn't control my nature i was prey to misery and depression even abstinent i was in all of those things um i was full of fear i was unhappy i didn't feel like i could be of help to anybody um yeah all everything there so that was where i knew i was going to stay and that I was gonna eat over that because this build up of human emotions is going to tell me that food is gonna be a good idea because I have the obsession of the mind. It's almost like it was going backwards. Um But what was, what really has come alive for me, and to be honest, it's more recent, is that, that this, I've been out there looking in my step 11, I won't skip skip too far forward, but when I did get to step 11, I'd been outside of myself looking for a higher power. And I did find one sufficient to, you know, keep me abstinent and, and keep in the promises that are given to us from this program. Um, but when, when my life hit the skids, <laughs> about six years into recovery, into abstinence, um, I, I was this higher power that I'd created, which really was, I always felt a bit like it was me looking over the edge going, you know, I, I read a lot of spiritual books. I listened to people in these rooms. Um, I still had this thing about religion. I, I looked at many religions and, and realized that they weren't for me. Um, but I didn't have one that when it came down to it, would 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 um yeah would would hold me in this really two two big life events happened for me um in 2021 um and and and, and it wasn't enough um and now when I think when I look back it's something that I think I missed <laughs> even though I had it underlined and highlighted it says so you know that I that, so I had all the problems um, and I thought that I didn't have a faith. Um, But it says on page 55, actually, we were fooling ourselves Um, for deep down in every man, woman and child is the fundamental idea of God. It may be obscured by calamity, by pomp, by worship of other things. But in some form or other, it is there for faith in a power greater than ourselves and miraculous demonstrations of that power in human lives are facts as old as man himself. With fi- I finally saw that faith in some kind of God was a part as a part of my makeup, just as much as the feelings I had for friends. Um, sometimes I had to search fearlessly, but God was there. God was as much as fact as I was. I found the great reality deep down within myself. In the last analysis, it was only there that I found God. Um, and I said, you know, is that so with me? Is a question, and and it really has been because that's now what I understand about this program. You know, I'd worked the steps; I'd got to the point. You know, w- w- you know, I'd seen myself in in step one. Then I came to understand that, that I lived by self propulsion. You know, and um, the actor that's described on page sixty. You know, that was me. I I, I was encouraged to turn. All of those words, all of those, all of that about the act to read it as in like myself, you know. So, um, yeah, so I, I, I took myself through that. Uh, I'm just trying to find it actually to help me along. Um on my- i like to have that um yeah so the first requirement is that i'd be convinced that my life on a self-will can hardly be a success because i'd seen all where it was you know my will um and um that i most people try to live by self propulsion and that was me i could see that in my in my version of the story um in my version of, of Bill's story and my lived experience of being in this illness, and that that I was like an actor, and so I saw all of that. Then I saw what I was when I was trying to run the show. Five um, minutes, Okay, great. And um, and so I can then see that what 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 is you know what is cutting me off is that I've picked up. I'm I'm playing God again. I'm driving the bus again, and um, and and that that alone is the thing that's cutting me off. Um, I didn't really get to see that until I got to step six that there was an overall unhelpful effect of being in these unhelpful coping mechanisms. It took me years to be able to call them defects. I can today, but for many years I just had to call them unhelpful coping mechanisms, um, because that's what they were. But it's only more recently in continuing post relapse because I did have um, a slow drip relapse. I never, ever went out. I never binged again. I never picked up my alcoholic ingredients. I. um, I never went outside of the remit of three meals a day with nothing in between. But yet the food I was eating, there was nothing going in my mouth for that period of time that was for nourishment. Everything that went through my lips was for comfort and it went on I don't really know I'd say eight or nine months and I had gained weight but I was in as much trouble then gaining I think 15 pounds I think it was or 16 pounds I was in as much trouble then as I had been in December 2014 mentally spiritually and emotionally Um, and so this time round, when I got to that thing about God being deep down within the consciousness of me and understanding that these unhelpful coping mechanisms are the very thing that cut me off, all my work today is about my relationship with God. And I do use, um, the, I think for me, this whole process of steps four through to nine is just a method it's it's a recalibration tool it says you have started picking your you've picked up the reins again some you know your behaviors have picked up the reins you're you're driving the bus you've done all of these things in that time whether it be for a week a day a moment hopefully it it gets shorter and shorter before i get to see it so i'm able to do the work much quicker um and the only thing that's going to the only thing that's going to help you is honesty, because honesty, once you put it under the scope of the light and get honest about it with yourself, with your God and with another human being, Linda, then that's all that's asked of you. Then the rest will be shown to me. If there's an amends, it will it, be shown to me, you know, um In when I are after I've done that work and I say to God, you know, please direct my attention to what you would have me be, because ultimately, usually for me, it will be a fear that will drive the dishonesty, that will drive the selfish thinking and the selfish attitudes that will then result in self-seeking behaviours. And it's it's living like that that will drive me straight back to the food. So... um, I have to say, you know, then I so it's, it is a fear. I really want to know what the fear is underneath it. It's always a fear for me. And once I know what the fear is, I then say to God, you know, direct my take that fear from me, please, and direct my attention to what you would have me be. And it, it, it's really nearly always now a loving voice that will say to me. Even if it's a direction of something that's not, you know, that I need to do, it won't be hurtful and it won't be harming. It And it will be manageable, um, reasonable. They're the kind of, I know it's God when it's like that. And so I just today choose to believe that if it's not any of those things, it's not God. Because also, I have a spiritual ego. And that speaks to me um sometimes in a way that, you know, I think it is God, Um, but also my illness speaks to me in my own voice. So it's like, you know, I just have to trust the litmus test of is this kind and is this loving? And even if it's, you know, got some discipline in it, it will still be kind and loving. And that's the God that I'm coming to know that was always deep down within the consciousness of me. Um, and, and it's a slow process. But I do know that if I don't remain abstinent, um, I don't have any chance. If I remain abstinent and stay in the bedevilments, I, I don't have any chance. If I remain honest and abstinent, and share my truth with other people, I have a chance of connecting with that power. And uh, I think that's I think that is that my time? Going up? Yeah. Yes, so, that's it. Uh, That's the way I live my life today. I didn't get to say anything about Step 12, but I am active in Step 12, um, both in service and in sponsoring and in practicing the principles to the best of my ability, imperfectly, in all my affairs. And I'm really very grateful to have been able to share that with you today. So, um, yeah, I'll leave. Thank you very much, Linda, for that.